Chapter Fifteen of *The Hand of Fu Manchu*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. *The Hand of Fu Manchu* by Sax Romer. Chapter Fifteen. Zarmi reappears. Come in! I cried. The door opened and a page boy entered. A table for Doctor Petrie. I started up from my chair. A thousand possibilities, some of a sort to bring dread to my heart, instantly occurred to me. I tore open the envelope, and, as one does, glanced first at the name of the sender. It was signed, Karamaneh. Smith, I said hoarsely, glancing over the message, Karamaneh is on her way to England. She arrives by the Nicobar to-morrow. Eh? cried Nayland Smith, in turn leaping to his feet. She had no right to come alone unless— the boy, open-mouthed, was listening to our conversation, and I hastily thrust a coin into his hand and dismissed him. As the door closed— "'Unless what, Smith?' I said, looking at my friend squarely in the eyes. "'Unless she has learnt something, or is flying away from some one.' My mind set in a whirl of hopes and fears, longings and dreads. "'What do you mean, Smith?' I asked. "'This is the place of danger, as we know to our cost. She was safe in Egypt.' Nayland Smith commenced one of his restless perambulations, glancing at me from time to time and frequently tugging at the lobe of his ear. "'Was she safe in Egypt?' he rapped. "'We are dealing, remember, with the Sifan, which, if I am not mistaken, is a sort of Elysian mystery holding some kind of dominion over the Eastern mind, and boasting initiates throughout the Orient. It is almost certain that there is an Egyptian branch, or group, call it what you will, of the damnable organization.' "'But Dr. Fu Manchu dr fu manchu for he lives petrie my own eyes bear witness to the fact dr fu manchu is a sort of delegate from the headquarters his prodigious genius will readily enable him to keep in touch with every branch of the movement east and west he paused to knock out his pipe into an ash-tray and to watch me for some moments in silence he may have instructed his cairo agents he added significantly god grant she get to england in safety i whispered smith can we make no move to round up the devils who defy us, here in the very heart of civilized England? Listen, you will not have forgotten the wildcat Eurasian's army. Smith nodded. I recall the lady perfectly, he snapped. Unless my imagination has been playing me tricks, I have seen her twice within the last few days, once in the neighborhood of this hotel and once in a cab in Piccadilly. You mentioned the matter at the time, said Smith shortly, but although I made inquiries, as you remember, nothing came of them. "'Nevertheless, I don't think I was mistaken. "'I feel in my very bones that the yellow hand of Fu Manchu is about to stretch out again, "'if only we could apprehend Zarmi.' "'Nayland Smith lighted his pipe with care. "'If only we could, Petrie,' he said. "'But, damn it!' "'He dashed his left fist into the palm of his right hand. "'We are doomed to remain inactive. "'We can only await the arrival of Karamina and see if she has anything to tell us.' I must admit there are certain theories of my own which I haven't yet had an opportunity of testing. Perhaps in the near future such an opportunity may arise. How soon that opportunity was to arrive, neither of us suspected then that fate is a merry trickster, and even as we spoke of these matters, events were brewing which were to lead us along strange paths. With such glad anticipations as my pen cannot describe, their gladness not unmixed with fear, I retired to rest that night, scarcely expecting to sleep, so eager was I for the morrow. The musical voice of Karamina seemed to ring in my ears. I seemed to feel the touch of her soft hands, and to detect, as I drifted into the borderland betwixt reality and slumber, 
that faint exquisite perfume which from the first moment of my meeting with the beautiful eastern girl had become to me inseparable from her personality it seemed that sleep had but just claimed me when i was awakened by someone roughly shaking my shoulder i sprang upright my mind alert to sudden danger the room looked yellow and dismal illuminated as it was by a cold light of dawn which crept through the window and with which competed the luminance of the electric lamps nayland smith stood at my bedside partially dressed wake up petrie he cried your instincts serve you better than my reasoning hell's afoot old man even as you predicted it perhaps in that same hour the yellow fiends were at work what smith what i said leaping out of bed you don't mean not that old man he replied clapping his hand upon my shoulder there is no further news of her but weymouth is waiting outside sir baldwin fraser has disappeared i rubbed my eyes hard and sought to clear my mind of the vapours of sleep sir baldwin fraser i said of half moon street but what god knows what snapped smith but our old friend's army or so it would appear bore him off last night and he has completely vanished leaving practically no trace behind only a few sleeping servants were about as we descended the marble stairs to the lobby of the hotel where weymouth was awaiting us i have a cab outside from the yard he said i came straight here to fetch you before going on to half moon street quite right snapped smith but are you sure the cab is from the yard i have had painful experience of strange cabs recently you can trust this one said weymouth smiling slightly it has carried me to the scene of many a crime hm said smith a dubious recommendation we entered the waiting vehicle and soon were passing through the nearly deserted streets of london only those workers whose toils began with the dawn were afoot at that early hour and in the misty grey light the streets had an unfamiliar look and wore an aspect of sadness and ill accord with the sentiments which now were stirring within me for whatever might be the fate of the famous mental specialist whatever the mystery before us even though dr fu manchu himself malignantly active threatened our safety karamaneh would be with me again that day karamaneh my beautiful wife-to-be so selfishly occupied was i with these reflections that i paid little heed to the words of weymouth who was acquainting nayland smith with the facts bearing upon the mysterious disappearance of sir baldwin fraser indeed i was almost entirely ignorant upon the subject when the cab pulled up before the surgeon's house in half moon street here where all else spoke of a city yet sleeping or but newly awakened was wild unrest and excitement several servants were hovering about the hall eager to glead any scrap of information that might be obtainable wild-eyed and curious if not a little fearful in the sombre dining-room with its heavy oak furniture and gleaming silver sir baldwin's secretary awaited us he was a young man fair-haired clean-shaven and alert but a real and ever-present anxiety could be read in his eyes i am sorry he began to have been the cause of disturbing you at so early an hour particularly since this mysterious affair may prove to have no connection with the matters which i understand are at present engaging your attention nayland smith raised his hand deprecatingly we are prepared mr logan he replied to travel to the uttermost ends of the earth at all times if by doing so we can obtain even a meagre clue to the enigma which baffles us i should not have disturbed mr smith said weymouth if i had not been pretty sure that there was chinese devilry at work here nor should i have told you as much as i have mr logan he added a humorous twinkle creeping into his blue eyes if i had thought you could not be of use to us in unravelling our case i quite understand that said logan and now since you have voted for the story first and refreshments afterwards i shall tell you what little i know of the matter 
"'Be as brief as you can,' snapped Nayland Smith, starting up from the chair in which he had been seated and beginning restlessly to pace the floor before the open fireplace. "'As brief as is consistent with clarity. "'We have learned in the past that an hour or less sometimes means the difference between—' He paused, glancing at Sir Baldwin's secretary. "'Between life and death,' he added. Mr. Logan started perceptibly. "'You alarm me.' "'Mr. Smith,' he declared, "'for I can conceive of no earthly manner "'in which this mysterious Eastern organization "'of which Inspector Weymouth speaks "'could profit by the death of Sir Baldwin.' "'Nayland Smith suddenly turned "'and stared grimly at the speaker. "'I call it death,' he said harshly, "'to be carried off to the interior of China, "'to be made a mere slave, "'having no will but the great and evil man "'who already, already, mark you, "'has already accomplished such things. "'But Sir Baldwin?' "'Sir Baldwin Fraser,' snapped Smith, "'is the undisputed head of his particular branch of surgery. "'Dr. Fu Manchu may have what he deems useful employment for such skill as his. "'But,' glancing at the clock, "'we are wasting time. Your story, Mr. Logan.' "'It was at about half-past twelve last night,' began the secretary, "'closing his eyes as if he were concentrating his mind upon certain past events, "'when a woman came here and inquired for Sir Baldwin.' The butler informed her that Sir Baldwin was entertaining friends, and that he could receive no professional visitors until the morning. She was so insistent, however, absolutely declining to go away, that I was sent for. I have rooms in the house, and I came down to interview her in the library. "'Be very accurate, Mr. Logan,' interrupted Smith, in your description of this visitor. "'I shall do my best,' pursued Logan, closing his eyes again in concentrated thought. She wore evening dress of a fantastic kind, markedly oriental in character, and had large gold rings in her ears. A green-embroidered shawl, with raised figures of white birds as a design, took the place of a cloak. It was certainly of eastern workmanship, possibly Arab, and she wore it about her shoulders with one corner thrown over her head, again something like a burnoose. She was extremely dark, had jet-black frizzy hair, and very remarkable eyes, the finest of their type I have ever seen. She possessed beauty of a sort, of course, but without being exactly vulgar, it was what I may term ostentatious, and as I entered the library I found myself at a loss to define her exact place in society. You understand what I mean? We all nodded comprehendingly, and awaited with intense interest the resumption of the story. Mr. Logan had vividly described the Eurasian's army, the creature of Dr. Fu Manchu. When the woman addressed me, he continued. My surmise that she was some kind of half-caste, probably a Eurasian, was confirmed by her broken English. I shall not be misunderstood. A slight embarrassment became perceptible in his manner. If I say that the visitor quite openly tried to bewitch me, and, since we are all human, you will perhaps condone my conduct when I add that she succeeded, in a measure, inasmuch as I consented to speak to Sir Baldwin, although he was actually playing bridge at the time. Either my eloquence, or, to put it bluntly, the extraordinary fee which the woman offered resulted in Sir Baldwin's agreeing to abandon his friends and accompany the visitor in a cab which was waiting to see the patient. And who was the patient? rapped Smith. According to the woman's account, the patient was her mother, who had met with a street accident a week before. She gave the name of the consultant who had been called in, and who, she stated, had advised the opinion of Sir Baldwin. She represented that the matter was urgent, and that it might be necessary to perform an operation immediately in order to save the patient's life. "'But surely,' I interrupted in surprise, "'Sir Baldwin did not take his instruments.' "'He took his case with him, yes,' replied Logan, "'for he in turn yielded to the appeals of the visitor. The very last words that I heard him speak as he left the house 
were to assure her that no such operation could be undertaken at such short notice in that way logan paused looking around at us a little wearily and what aroused your suspicions said smith my suspicions were aroused at the very moment of sir baldwin's departure for as i came out onto the steps with him i noticed a singular thing and that was snapped smith directly sir baldwin had entered the cab the woman got out replied logan with some excitement in his manner and reclosing the door took her seat beside the driver of the vehicle which immediately moved off nayland smith glanced significantly at me the cab trick again petrie he said scarcely a doubt of that then to logan anything else this replied the secretary i thought although i could not be sure that the face of sir baldwin peered out of the window for a moment as the cab moved away from the house and that there was a strange expression upon it almost a look of horror but of course as there was no light in the cab and the only illumination was that from the open door i could not be sure and now tell mr smith said weymouth how you got confirmation of your fears i felt very uneasy in my mind continued logan for the whole thing was so irregular i could not rid my memory of the idea of sir baldwin's face looking out from the cab window therefore i rang up the consultant whose name our visitor had mentioned yes cried smith eagerly he knew nothing whatever of the matter said logan and had no such case upon his books that of course put me in a dreadful state of mind and i was naturally anxious to avoid making a fool of myself and therefore i waited for some hours before mentioning my suspicions to any one but when the morning came and no message was received i had determined to communicate with scotland yard the rest of the mystery is for you gentlemen to unravel End of chapter fifteen